again. Welcome to G5 Football Daily, the audio accompaniment to our coverage on Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Network. Joe Londrigan here with you, as always, ready to talk some Week 8 and what we saw in uh, in that slate of G5 games and then what we're going to see in the Week 9 slate. And uh, I'm joined today by Eric Henry of Horns 247 and 247 Sports. Uh, we've done G5 content for a number of years, and we're going to do more for you today. Eric, how are we doing? Joe, as I said to you on air, it has been a very eventful 48 hours or so as far as my day job with 24-7 Sports, Horns 24-7, coverage of the Texas Longhorns. And if I can just get a reprieve from having to say the words Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy, or Arch Manning, it is a beautiful day. So uh, I am happy to have this space to talk a little G5 football, get back to my old stomping grounds and do it with one of my good friends. Uh, I, 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 I just get warm inside when I uh, think about the friendship that has flourished between Joe Londrigan and myself. <laughs> yeah. Monday nights at Hooters will do that to you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Monday, is... nights, Monday nights at Hooters will do a lot to you, but, you know, it's a different sort of podcast. Internally, externally. But before we get into that, that's the topic of uh, some Patreon content down the line, probably. But... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Eric, let's talk about stuff we, we learned. Pay good money to hear our thoughts about our Monday nights at Hooters. Continue, Joe. Uh, yeah, exactly. I know, I know what I have. I know the value. Um, three things we learned from the weekend, Eric. Let's uh, let's jump into however many we have, really. Um, or just three things in general that we noticed, observations. Uh, my first one, Nevada winning a game for the first time in 411 days over a calendar year for uh, Ken Wilson and his staff ugly game with uh, San Diego state, but you know, ultimately they did more in the end, forced that turnover uh, to get things done for themselves. And uh, they get, no, they get a road win, which makes it a little bit sweeter. San Diego state looking pretty bad wheels coming off of the uh, Brady Hope train a little bit, but you know, anytime you can get kind of that uh, injection of, of energy into your program when you've had just nothing really to celebrate for that long, good for the Wolfpack. That's, that's my takeaway from that. Joe, my first of three, Conference USA, right? When you think you know everything, the answers kind of change. So let's start, right, with the fact mm-hmm. that the Liberty Flames, they, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they found a way to fend off Middle Tennessee, Nick Vadiato. Um, Caden Salter just having a really great year. I mean, 16 carats for a buck, 60 on the ground. They're leading the pack. And if you look at the rest of their schedule, I don't know, Joe, that I see anyone that can trip them up in CUSA. I mean, it's Western. And I think coming into the year, uh, Joe, most people would have said that Western and Liberty would have been the two teams kind of at the head of the pack in Conference USA as far as competing for a conference title. And Western is still in contention, but... They haven't looked like the same Western Kentucky team of the past few years. Outside of that, La Tech doesn't seem like they're going to be able to do it. ODU, UMass, and UTEP. They may be smooth sailing to a CUSA title unless Western can trip them up. If Western does, Chip, uh, Chip, wow, let's try this again. That's a different podcast, Joe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can tell I record these back to back. Um, Then it is kind of a crapshoot because you take a look at the rest of that league and you got Jacksonville State. And four and one in conference, six and two. New Mexico State, three and one, and then Western. So 
I'm really interested to see kind of how this thing plays out down the stretch. But yeah, my first takeaway is, I mean, Liberty, if they can get it done this week, it could be smooth sailing to a CUSA title and undefeated record in their first year in conference, Joe. Yeah, I have similar thoughts about where Liberty is. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in a later part of the show because uh, obviously that Western Liberty matchup is uh, looming coming up real quick here, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. But uh, my second thing, Eric, UNLV, another Nevada team, uh, but the Rebels reaching bowl eligibility. Great story there. Uh, kicker, Jose Paisano. Uh, Paisano, I, I, it's, I believe it's pronounced Paisano. Six field goals in a game, which is a school record. Homecoming hits the game winner as time expires uh, to lock up their sixth win. They go to a bowl game for the first time in 10 years. And they they do it in a way where like Colorado State had so many chances to win this game and UNLV just had an answer every time. It was such a like it was such a crazy game and such a crazy ending to a game, and nobody saw it because it was on stadium. <laughs> like there was there were, I was really trying to like find discussion about this game and it really wasn't like happening until like later because that's when people started to like digest like the clips and stuff that were coming out. But like, yeah, this was a crazy thing to like see in the moment, the last like five minutes of this game, because all the action was kind of saved for that last little part. <laughs> but yeah, this, uh, this Jose Pizano kid, former Juco soccer player decided he'd give football a try and, uh, he he was somewhere before UNLV, but ended up at UNLV for this season. And um, he's been Mountain West Special Teams Player of the Week twice, doing some uh, kicking the ball real good. Joe, I'm going to combine a few here into one. So maybe this could be two and three for me, or it could just be two. I'll let sure. you decide. I have been very critical of two coaches, one more so than the other, but I'm lumping them in. Biff Pogge at Charlotte and Mike Bloomgren at Rice. For two completely different reasons. One, Mike Bloomgren, it just seems like he struggled to get his team over the hump the past few years, you know, and especially this now being uh, where he's at at Rice. I believe this is his fifth year, if memory serves me correct. Could be year six. I had to double check on the fly, but I felt like they really need to be something other than just 500 team, you know, because that just wasn't going to cut it. Another five win year wasn't going to, keep Mike Bloomgren employed for a sixth season, excuse me, for a seventh season. He's in a sixth year now for a seventh season at Rice. They got a win that, quite frankly, I, I, I thought could have gone either way, but it was a very decisive win, Joe. 42-10, to 10, going to Tulsa. So I have to give them credit. JT Daniels played a hell of a ball game, uh, kind of for three total touchdowns, threw for 342 yards. With Charlotte, if you've heard our podcast, you've heard my critique of Biff Pogey. I thought he's just running off at the mouth, being ridiculous in terms of the way he's kind of handling business there. All that matters, and I said this when we talked about the start of the year, Joe, all that matters is if you win. They were 1-5 right. in five entering this game, and they had to hit the road to go to ECU, the game that I know a lot of that Charlotte fan base definitely wanted, and they got it by hook or crook. They got it 10-7. That is all that matters. I do not know whether or not Charlotte will win again this year. Take a look at the rest of their schedule, Joe. They face Florida Atlantic, Tulsa, Memphis, Rice, and USF. All teams that you can make the argument are better than them and in some sort of bowl competition. I don't know if they'll win again this year. But I'm willing to say that getting that win over ECU is at least enough 
to bring Biff Pogey back. And I'm not saying that, you know, he was in danger of being fired using his own words. He, he said, if I don't have this thing turned around in year one, I'm walking away. Well, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not expecting him to make good on that promise, but at least feel that, you know, Joe, quite frankly, two wins this season, having pushed, um, who'd they push? Uh, I believe it was uh, Washington. They pushed, but if they didn't get smoked by Florida, they pushed Navy. I at least feel like that's a little more in line with what the expectation should have been for this season entering the year. Yeah. And I mean, I think we've talked about it a lot, but I mean, I think the issue, I think for a lot of Charlotte fans, wasn't that the Charlotte team is probably going to be pretty bad. It was the bizarre expectations that Poji set prior to this. And it's still baffles me why he did that, but Hey, yeah, congrats. You're, you're good enough to beat a, uh, ECU program that's also in a really bad spot right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they are uh, missing Holt Nailers very badly. That much is clear. But yeah, win is a win for Charlotte, I suppose. First FBS win for Pogey, first win in the AAC as uh, a member of that conference for the 49ers. And uh, yeah, that was that was your uh, your two and three. Yeah, I'll agree with you on Bloomgren. I think he's he's starting to get it figured out there. You know, we'll see if they can. Uh, keep this going post Luke McCaffrey, whenever that may be, but he's playing out of his mind right now. He's a alien. <laughs> he's, he's so good. Uh, and also JT Daniels when he's healthy can, can do some good things with the football every now and again, too. My last one, Eric, we got a ranked James Madison still undefeated seven and zero. their most recent win against a Marshall team where they got that win 20 to nine. And now they've got old dominion coming up here. I really think they finished the year undefeated at this point. They've got, uh, uh, I think the hardest part of their schedule behind them. And now that they're finally in the rankings, it's, um, that's cool to see. Obviously there's still postseason ineligible, which is, you know, it, it's, is wild, but you know, Eric, I'll, I'll ask you, do you think, like when they made these FCS to FBS transition rules, do you think they actually like realistically expected any of these FCS teams making the jump to be as good as James Madison has been the last like two years? Oh, short answer is no. Um, <laughs> Joe, this may be something for you with the site. Uh -huh. I think there's a misconception from some fans who are pro James Madison and others getting the exception and some who are against there's a real deep dive and I don't have the time to explain it all. Some of the financial reasons why some of these programs may have needed to make the jump and some of the finances behind why they may have in specificity with James Madison, why they're in a two year situation. I just think there's more context needed and there's a lot to it other than, they just wanted to go play FBS football and now they need to sit out and, and, and bear the circumstances, right? So uh, I'm just saying that um, as an aside. But to your question, no, I don't think they expected some of these programs to be as good. Historically, it just hasn't been the case, Joe. Let's go back to the, you know, I, I think probably the test case for this of my home state, Florida A&M had a very brief stint um, at the FBS level. <laughs> and, and they mm -hmm. went back the FCS and HBCUs pretty quickly. I mean, you could take a look at some others in the transition. Uh, USF, I mean, that's my hometown of Tampa. I remember them being an FCS school for several years back in the day when it was 1AA before they um, 
made the jump. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think that was the anticipation. Otherwise, I think they would have had some sort of fail safe in 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 place for something like this. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Idaho is another example. They uh, they were in right. FBS for a while, <laughs> couldn't really achieve anything at that level, and, and went down to FCS again. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's fair. There's definitely financial circumstances there. I think Sam Houston. I was running into that. I, uh, I believe Matt Brown at Extra Points wrote something about that earlier in the year. But yeah, there, there's multiple reasons why these are in place. I just, I don't agree with most of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but that's what we learned. Um, Eric, something else that was interesting this week, we got a closer than expected matchup between Air Force and Navy in Annapolis. Air Force ultimately winning that game, but uh, midshipmen giving them more of a game than I think we you know, anticipated and, uh, but thankfully Air Force defense certainly showed up and, uh, you know, who else showed up was Zach Larry or throwing that, what was it? 94 yard touchdown pass, longest touchdown in uh, Air Force history, longest uh, play from scrimmage in the, uh, history of Navy stadium. Uh, it was the longest play in Air Force's history actually. Um, but for those who aren't familiar with the commander in chief's trophy, um, essentially what happens is, the service academy who beats the other two in the same season gets a trophy. That's where uh, Air Force won it last year. They will likely retain it this year if they keep playing the way they're playing. They got to beat a uh, army team that has uh, missed some opportunities. Let's say in the next couple of weeks. But Eric, did you get a chance to catch any of Air Force's uh, victory over Navy this weekend? I unfortunately did not because it was a bit of a uh, busy weekend with. The Longhorns in Houston. But with that being said, Joe, um, just having a chance to take a look at some of the numbers here. And of course, just, you know, my my background, G5 football. I mean, Air Force, 7-0, and really impressive. And as you talked about some of the issue with the commander in chief trophy, one of the, you know, more unique uh, distinctions, distinctions and honors, excuse me, in all of college football. Got to be really, really impressed with, with how Air Force uh, is is playing and in my mind again you talk about a team that's like in, in in the Mountain West and you talk about UNLV earlier that would be a really really interesting conference title game Joe in my mind um, just because I, I don't think it's one that many would have expected entering this year and and both teams will take on each other November eighteenth CBS Sports Network but yeah I mean I just would really love to see just some new blood in the mountain West. You know, we've talked about UNLV and their struggles over the past years kind of get over the hump. It appears that they are at least doing so now. So got to finish, but yeah, um, really impressive win by air force and intrigued to see where they uh, end up towards the end of the year. I didn't even think about that. I mean, with, with UNLV, like I'm still processing the fact that they're going to play postseason football and the fact that this Barry Odom hire may have actually had some like <laughs> positive constructive thought behind it as opposed to the like crazy overreaction we all thought it was when uh they decided not to continue with Marcus Arroyo but this Air Force team fantastic defense the Air Force rushing attack didn't play particularly well in this game actually 2.9 yards per carry on Saturday first time this season that the Falcons uh, averaged less than 4.1 yards per carry this season so got to clean the running game up a little bit but uh, thankfully, they they had uh, the passing game to bail them out uh, once or twice there. Um, but thankfully for them as well, maybe still kind of dealing with their own stuff as they figure out the new offense under Brian Newberry. 
Um, with that, let's move on to the Sun Belt, shall we? This was a really fun week in that conference. Uh, Georgia State, they're bowl eligible for the first time in, um, well, since, what, 2020. Um, but frankly, I think it's they're shooting for a little more in uh, this latter part here of uh, Sean Elliott's tenure with the team. And uh, then in the West, you got Texas State in control of their own destiny, but they've got a really tough matchup with Troy coming up this week. I know everybody's taking that one really seriously, as they should. But Eric, I, I I can't really remember too much of a time where I feel like the Sun Belt was this wide open to this extent um, with, you know, a little about a quarter of the season left to play. Is that fair to say? Yeah, um, I do think that is fair to say. I, I, I think, yeah, because, I mean, last year, you know, you had Troy as your winner, but I think you, you take a look at some of the years prior, right? And you had a lot of Louisiana um, competing for the Sun Belt title. And of course you had App State and Coastal. So yeah, I think maybe in a recent memory, it, it's felt like, you know, the conference may have been a foregone conclusion. But this year, again, really enjoying the fact that we're getting some new blood. I think that's great for the Sun Belt. I think that's great for Keith Gill, who when I spoke to him, wow, it feels like much longer than just a little over a year ago, but it was just about 13, 14 months ago. Um, at Bobcat Stadium, he spoke about the new additions, getting James Madison, you know, getting Marshall and, and others in, in Southern Miss and being really excited about where his league was and um, the strength of the league. And Joe, I, I just think a year like this is a testament to what he has wanted because your App States, your Marshalls, Granite Grayson, uh, Granite Coastal Carolina, you know, a lot of it's been with Grayson McCall, but I feel confident in what they've built. Um, those programs, even, you, you know, Louisiana, um, those programs are going to be there. You know, those are going to be your stalwarts in my mind. But getting some programs that historically have 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 kind of treaded water, right? Like your Georgia States, um, even an ODU coming in here now, 3-1 in conference, and, and Texas State, I think is the big one, Joe, that G.J. Kinney hire and, and you know, we don't want to put, you know, get too far ahead of ourselves, but we may have to start asking ourselves once we get three, four weeks down the road, if GJ Kinney is going to be a one hit wonder because, you know, some teams are going to come calling. The fact he's been able to do this with a Texas State team, Joe, that was just dormant for many years. I mean, you know, he's going to get looks, but yeah. to bring it back to your question, you know, come full circle. Yeah, I, I do think you can say in recent history, things feel a little bit more wide open than, than maybe they have been in the past. Yeah, Texas State definitely has a shot. I hope G.J. Kenny doesn't uh, get picked up right away. I kind of want to give him at least a couple of years to really get this figured out. I feel like like if he had had more time to work at uh, Incarnate Word without this opportunity coming up, who knows what kind of FCS powerhouse he would have built that into. But I digress. Uh, Troy, division champs, can never really count them out. South Alabama, really talented but really inconsistent. So I think they've still got somewhat of a shot in the West. They're going to need some help. Um, and then the East, James Madison, unfortunately, uh, ineligible. So that leaves it up to basically, in my mind, Georgia State or Georgia Southern, right? Like Old Dominion, they're still three and one in conference, like you said, not out of the picture by any means. But I don't know, some of the things they've done, that they seem a little inconsistent as well. I'll, I'll say that. I love what Jason Henderson's doing as a player mid, uh, mid-season All-American by the AP, by the way. You know, I just I, I don't think they have quite enough like juice on offense, but we'll see. Um, Coastal, 
oh man, can still, I guess technically they're still in it, right? But if this injury to Grayson McCall from that, uh, uh, let's say bump on the head he took um, in that Arkansas State game this past week, if that's like a long-term thing, then I think they're pretty much done, unfortunately. But because Tim Beck finally unlocked him the last couple of weeks and it's just not, and uh, you know, he wasn't really getting it going in the early part of the season, but uh, in that Arkansas state win and that app state win, he has looked like his old self, but uh, who knows if we're going to be able to get him back to that point, um, you know, before it's a moot point, if that makes sense, because I mean, he's, he's their team. He's the heart and soul of that team. Oh, no, I mean, no, no, no doubt about it there. I mean, listen, it's no disrespect to, the rest of that team, but Grayson McCall, you know, he's the guy who says he pisses teal, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think there's any any more direct way to say he is the heart and soul and has been a hell of a player, a hell of a, hell of a comfortable quarterback over the past half decade. Marshall, like, I think, I, you know, it pains me to say it a little bit, but I feel like they're they're out of it, that one and two. I mean, I, I don't know. I Looking at their schedule coming up, the Coastal game is weirdly winnable. They've got App State at their place, which is beneficial. App State's really bad on the road, but then they got to go to Georgia Southern, then they got to play South Alabama, and then they have Arkansas State. So I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking too soon. They have five games left, and I would say three of them are winnable. So they're what, four and three now? So that puts them at seven wins. So I guess, you know, that's a bowl team, but. If they already have the uh, two conference losses, it's going to be tough to to overtake some of these teams that are closer to the top and have easier schedules. And then Southern Miss, man, what happened? <laughs> like that's been one, an interesting one, Joe. That has been an interesting one. Yeah, one and six, not doing a whole lot to move the needle in in the right direction, unfortunately. And this is coming off of a year, Will, where uh, Will Hall seemed like he really had it together. Joe, listen, um, it's tough because. In my mind, yes, you know, they won seven games, but they did, didn't did have lost some talent. I mean, when you lose a guy like Jason Brownlee, that hurts. And we all know, you know, just the success that he had there um, at, at Southern Miss. And it just seems like the quarterback situation, again, there for the Golden Eagles has just, it's been kind of a revolving door, not necessarily um, due to any circumstances of, of, you know, what Will Hall's trying to do. Some of it was injury in the first few years. Remember that, that, uh, that 2021 year in which they had to go to the super back because they had quarterbacks were banged up. But in my mind, it, 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 it comes down to that, Joe. I mean, you know, Rodriguez Clark was a guy who was really, um, productive at Memphis. And you think he goes to Southern Miss, you think you pair him with Frank Gore Jr. You think you got a dynamic running game, but when your quarterback position isn't really stable, I, I think that's asking a lot of them. And I mean, look at Frank Gore's production now in his, um, I believe this is red shirt or not red shirt. Cause he's the part of the COVID year. So he's got the COVID year junior. Um, that's guy was a 1300 yard rusher last year. And he's having 3.8 yards per attempt. Right. So I think that just goes to show you that the quarterback situation just hasn't been there. And just to kind of piggyback off that Joe, real quick, guy, that's a guy who I worry about because, He's had 643 carries in his collegiate career. And and at this production, he's probably going to look to come back next year. Uh, you got a college running back who's going to get north of 800 carries in his career. You know, that doesn't do well for his pro prospects. 
But nevertheless, um, yeah, I, I just think that's been the big thing. Also, defensively, they've struggled as well. But yeah, it, it definitely an interesting situation there with uh, with Will Hall and um and the Golden Eagles. Yeah, on the you know NFL question that we are talking about Frank Gore Jr., i.e., the son of the most durable NFL player ever, so to speak, right? <laughs> so who knows? that is true. Frank Gore Sr. played a billion years, so maybe mm-hmm. it's just in the blood. I don't know, but I guess I'm just I'm always biased when I when I see running backs, college collegiate running backs take a ton of carries, and it makes me just wonder. Um, you know, like what if, I mean, can we have a little fun here? And granted, I'm asking you to do this off the top of your head. So I apologize. I shouldn't do this to you. No, you can, please. Let's have, let's have fun. I think of a college running back. I don't care if it's, you know, obviously for the sake of this podcast, we'd want to be G5, but just someone who was really great in college, but for whatever reason, it didn't really work out in the NFL. And you think maybe this had too much tread on their, on their tires at the collegiate level. I'm going to give you one. And I think I'm leaving you an obvious one if you just think about it. Um, but the guy in my mind is Benny LeMay. Benny got a lot of carries at Charlotte and I think just too much tread on his tires. But there's one in particular that if you just think about our old coverage um, beat, I, I, I think it'll come to mind for you as someone who just had way too many carries in college, but was a really, really productive running back. I'm, I'm leading you to water there, but I can't make you drink. I'm hoping you you, you, you get it, Joe. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. The, you played at FAU, right? Um, No, not played at FAU. Okay. I, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. You're, you're yeah, in the right me. league. Right. Okay. From 2017 to 2020. You might as well be talking about something that happened 25 years ago. In Conference USA, 2017 to 2020. The Gulf Coast area. Conference USA. <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, uh, Dwayne McBride, right? No, 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 no. Dwayne McBride is actually, um, I mean, that's you got the right team, but Dwayne McBride, you know, didn't have as much tread. Spencer Brown. Ah, okay. 900 carries for Spencer Brown. And after that 272 carry year in 2018, he went down and had 3.8 yards per carry as a junior. And I'm looking at it now. And then by 2020, that's when he started splitting carries with the aforementioned Dwayne McBride and Jermaine Brown Jr. And yeah, just a guy who never, never really got much for Procurus. I just, I, I guess, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reading too much into it, but I, I it's kind of where I think of when I, I look at Frank Gore's uh, usage. I mean, I think you can say the same thing about a lot of different running backs over the years. And I, you can maybe even apply that to some other positions too. If you just, if you, you know, put too much out there as a college player, then uh, might not have a whole lot left in the tank as an NFL player. Who knows? Maybe that's a modern philosophy that some players are starting to understand, but who knows? probably talk about games to look forward to start wrapping the show up uh eric my first one obviously western against liberty on tuesday night uh wku's last two losses been pretty bad outings offensively lost that jacksonville state game last week by a field goal 
Uh, certainly not going to be any easier going against Kobe Singleton and that Liberty defense. And like we were talking about, if Liberty does win this, I think they've got a spot in the CUSA championship game basically locked up. And then depending on what happens in that other Tuesday game, we might have to have a serious conversation about New Mexico State making the championship game if Western can't get it done. That is definitely an interesting one, Joe. As you said, if Western can pull off the upset, then we've got some real chaos in Conference USA, and that's going to be interesting to watch. I am staying in Conference USA, and I am looking at the FIU Panthers and Jacksonville State. Let's start with the Jacksonville State side of things. They need this win to keep pace in CUSA in case the aforementioned loss happens with Liberty. Jacksonville State earned their first FBS win. Give you guys a little history lesson. 2020, the COVID year, when they were an FCS team and FIU was an FBS team, they made the trip to Miami and beat FIU on their home turf. Remember that one vividly. There are players from that uh, Jacksonville State team that are still on that roster and players from the FIU team that are on that roster um, that, uh, you know, the Panthers. It's a big one for them, Joe, because if you take a look at their schedule, it's pretty tough. They've got Jacksonville State. They've got Middle Tennessee State. They've got Arkansas. And they've got Western Kentucky. So you can make the argument that if FIU is going to go bowling, A, we know for a fact they need two more wins. Despite how much of a struggle you know, it is there in Arkansas, they just fired their offensive coordinator. That one you think is going to be tough. FIU has historically been bad at Floyd Stadium in recent memory, in recent history. I can attest to that. And then Western, you know, still have to think that that's going to be a tough challenge um, as well. So they're going to need probably this one, um, this one and maybe Middle Tennessee State. So definitely keep an eye on that one. And, and I think it's for FIU as far as their bowl chances, we're going to learn a lot. And for Jacksonville State, them to keep pace in the USA race. My second one, it's uh, it's in the MAC. Should be a fun one in Athens for Halloween weekend. It's uh, Ohio and Miami, two schools that do not like each other. Uh, Saturday at 3.30 Eastern. I think Ohio's job got a bit easier, which is, uh, you know, I I don't know if that's the nicest way to say it, but considering the injury to uh, Brett Gabbert on Saturday, but uh, their backup quarterback, Miami, is uh, did not look ready for the moment, so... That's a, that's a bummer to see a guy who's given so much to that Miami program. Uh, looks like he broke his leg. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say that. I don't think they really discussed too much of the extent of it. I know they he had surgery to uh, put a rod in, so that's uh, that that's going to take a long time to heal. He's obviously done for the season, but uh, you know they're not exactly playing perfect football at the moment, Ohio. So this could be a moment for that Miami defense that's been playing really well, and and some of these younger guys to have that hero moment and, and shut down the rival and in the process, make it a whole lot harder for Ohio to get back to the Mac title game. Um, so there's your uh, Mac title implications, a rivalry game, but it's the, you know, some good old fashioned hate. It's a, it's a good little atmosphere there in uh, Southeastern Ohio. Joe, I'm going to speed through this one here. FAU and Charlotte, really interested to see it games on ESPN two, two teams that, you know, depend on the outcome of this, game you can really look at their season in different ways let's start with charlotte if they get a win go to three and five definitely don't think they're you know as i said any you know real threat to challenge for a bowl game but then you can feel a little bit better about things if you're biff poji and charlotte fau 
that's a tough one because they got smoked by UTSA. I, I you know, know that they were really hoping for a better performance um, against the Roadrunners. And if they go to three and five, then you're almost, you know, in a position where you, you got to virtually went out to make a bowl. And that's been an interesting program because we know the success they had under Lane Kiffin kind of hit that low with Willie Taggart. They didn't get the injury, you know, as far as the quarterback situation, Daniel Richardson's filling in. LeJounte Wester has been one of the top receivers in America, top five, top 10 in catches, but they need this one to really kind of keep pace. And really kind of, I'd say for that fan base, it'd be nice for them to be rejuvenated and get back to a bowl game. So definitely keep an eye on that one. My last one is uh, UNLV and Fresno State. We've talked so much about uh, UNLV and, and their kind of team of destiny moment they're having reaching bowl eligibility. But uh, and then, of course, with the other team in the Mountain West, that's uh, doing really well. Air Force. We haven't talked too much about Fresno State the last couple of weeks uh, that that loss to Wyoming kind of put them off the national radar a little bit. They came back, had a one score win over a, a kind of an average Utah State team, if we're being honest. So this is kind of a, a window for them to come kind of come back and say, hey, look, we're still here in terms of the uh, New Year's Six conversation and, and the Mountain West title. Uh, conversation. So that'll be, that'll be a big one for the Bulldogs and a big one for the uh, Rebels as well as they look to, you know, continue this incredible season by their standards that they're having. So Thursday night on ESPN two six thirty Eastern has potential to be the game of the week. In my mind uh, across the GUFI, GUFI, what am I talking about? You can tell uh, it's been press conference day and I've been going since uh, 10 AM across the G five landscape, Georgia state, heads to Statesboro, Allen E. Paulson Stadium. Going to Georgia Southern, a lot of big-time playmakers, Davis Brin, Marcus Carroll, um, you know, opposite sides, opposite teams. I'm really interested to see how that one turns out because this is, you know, Georgia State really has a chance just to continue that momentum and push for a Sunbelt, um, you know, conference title berth. Georgia Southern, they've been very good as well and just love that little matchup down there and, you know, in, in the Peach State. So, that definitely, definitely keep an eye on that one uh, on Thursday. Another fun slate coming up for sure. We're going to be busy. We're going to be covering it all for G5 Football Daily. If you Google us, you'll find us uh, on the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network. Uh, you can follow my coverage along with uh, me and, and Mr. Kevin Burrell doing mostly FIU stuff. If you want to follow us on social media at G5 Football Daily for clips from the pod. And then, of course, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Follow his work on the 247 network and uh, come back hopefully later this week. We're going to try to get a second episode to you. We are, as we said, we got travel and all that. So we're going to do our best. Um, all right. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you very soon.